0: Two podcasts this weekend. Today we're going to talk about New York City sports, the Giants, the Mets, and the Knicks. Thanks to Naki for being here. Hey, how's it going? My pleasure. Highlighting my weekend. Uh, it must be tough being a New York sports fan
1: these days, right? Um, unless you're a Yankees fan, it's it's been a rough go. So the, the tri-state metropolitan area, the, that would be New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, not the DMV. It's had a pretty rough go at sports. Yeah, I'd say the past, I don't know eight seven eight years saved the Yankees in the past couple seasons
0: so you're from New Jersey you live here in DC but you've remained a hardcore New York's fan right New York City fan
1: that is correct yeah yeah. so I am by and large except for a recent bandwagon venture onto the Washington Capitals of course everybody
0: in the area did. yeah Yeah.
1: and then you know some peaking interest here and there the DC with DC United I am not a DMV sports fan, so I'm probably the wrong person to be speaking with on this podcast for DC DMV sports fans. No, this is about
0: sports <laughs> fans who live in the area. So, yeah, and um, you're a Giants fan, so am I. Yeah, yeah, and we're, uh, today we're together, a, brother. Yeah, today was a tough loss. Yeah, um, did you,
1: I we were just chatting about this before. But I, I caught probably the first uh, three and a half quarters. Fell asleep during the early part of the first quarter. But what's your what's your takeaway?
0: I think that they. Um, They had trouble with both lines, and Saquon Barkley looked great, particularly that one run. Yeah. Eli threw 22 for 37 for over 200 yards. He had the one pick, which really wasn't... uh, We have a dog here in the background, so you might hear a little whimpering, but... It's my little puppy, Obi-Wanda. She'll be good. And uh, so Beckham had over 100 yards. Yeah. Barkley had 106 yards, a touchdown. Eli, you know, he, he did pretty decent. So, but they still have trouble in the red zone. Offensive line has difficulty. And the defense was okay. They held Jacksonville to 13 points because really the the, only—he scored seven points on that one, pick six.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Beckham, I follow him closely, not just—in addition to being a Giants fan, he's on my fantasy team. So he was able to cobble together a surprising 10 points, 10, 11 points for, for fantasy today. Um, I agree with all your takeaways They didn't It
0: just seemed like Same old, same old Yeah, they, it's like The problem with the red zone They had a pretty decent offense But There were a lot of Three and lo- Third down longs. Yeah And whenever they got the, the one score was A long run by Barkley
1: Yeah And by same old, same old I mean They're not going Downfield nearly enough They're not yeah. They have this tremendous weapon In Beckham Sterling Shepard Sterling Can hold his own but most of their their pass game is just dump passes, screen passes, right. fake handoff, and then just dump it off, uh, quick shovel pass to the running back, and it's just frustrating. And then mixed in with that some questionable play calling, where they'll they'll try the pass game for the first two downs, yeah. and then they'll run it inevitably but inexplicably on third down, and then then there was call- that,
0: that fourth and one too, where they just ran Barkley. They ran Barkley up the middle, and you know, why don't they do play action, things like that? Be a little more creative. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of that
1: is constrained by Eli's immobility. Um, you have just a world of difference, right? When you turn on the next game, you see Cam Newton running around. Tonight, we're going to see Aaron Rodgers just you know, twinkle toes dance around on his feet. Blake, just, Wardle,
0: Blake Wardle's had a 40 yard run today.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He looked mobility in yes. the pocket and outside yeah. the pocket, just it makes a world of difference. And then you always just feel this. Um, just this tremendous sense of pressure and angst anytime with the offensive line anytime. Yeah, whenever see- Eli
0: drops back, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he was sacked a few times. He had to hurry up. It was really the pressure that caused the uh, the interception, the yeah. pick six.
1: But also, as a Giants fan, same old, same old. Meaning the the emotions I've run through a game, right? We have they you, you counted them out after that pick six. Barkley right, goes yeah, on that run, yeah, then you, yeah. you get back into the game and back into the action, thinking, "Okay, well, maybe they can cobble together a good rally here." Um, defense holds check in deep in the fourth quarter, right yeah, to get the ball back. Exactly. And then you're like, "Oh, well, maybe, maybe they'll go downfield with Beckham, and he'll do this fancy dance in the, in the end zone, and it'll be a equivalent of a walk off touchdown." But then you get that just boneheaded catch the football play. So,
0: what positives do you take from this game, if there are any? I, I. I well, actually, let's talk about Beckham, because he obviously was one of the stars for the Giants. Yeah. Some people say over and over and over that they should have taken a quarterback.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: the the wisest people out
1: there that are Giants haters, they tend to say their, their takeaway of the 2018 draft was for the Giants,
0: should have taken a quarterback. I'm not referencing anyone in specific. but But there are a lot of analysts people who watch a lot of football who say they should have taken a quarterback and this quarter this draft was pretty heavy on top QBs but the the fact that Barkley came in got 106 yards a touchdown in his first game is pretty impressive totally i think that that's my main
1: silver lining out of this you have the stud running back the the freak athlete the guy who can jump out of the gym and squat bench press and squat however many just the the main athlete out of this draft I wanted him diversify the offense, give Eli many more weapons. We forgot to mention Evan Ingram. Um, so you have him, Beckham, um, Saquon, and that's kind of the, those are the cornerstones of any good offense. And then a, a solid number two receiver, which they have in Shepard, and allegedly on paper they have the makings for a good offense. But everything, you know, football ultimate team game, everything. Bears down to the offensive line, which they're sorely lacking on.
0: Exactly, I think that's really the main takeaway: is that the offensive line really has to shore itself up going yeah. forward in order for them to um, to uh, make anything of this season.
1: Special teams receivers that uh, returners that can catch the football that would <laughs> right, exactly <be>, that'll <laughs> that make a role of <laughs> difference,
0: right? <laughs> I wonder if he'll be at practice tomorrow. Yeah.
1: Now, a buddy, but we're on a group text, and our buddy Vars was saying that to show a sign of force, to cut him immediately. Um, I don't know the inner layers of the contract structure and how that would work, but it's, I think it was at a strong, forceful early message to have some strong action on, on the guy that messes up the early game, first game of the season. Yeah, I don't
0: want to read too much into the first week. This was definitely a winnable game, but at the same time, they were in it the, the entire time and they uh, if, if they can pull out games like this later in the year, it will ultimately determine their season.
1: Yeah, and my philosophy... With sports is that, or for those teams that I root for, you have to win the games that you're supposed to win. Right. So, all due respect to Jacksonville, making it to the AFC Championship game last season, you know they're not really leaning on this tremendous history. They're a very beatable team. Opening game, you just at have giant this stadium, yeah. at giant yeah. stadium at yeah. home. You have this stud running back that you're trying to flaunt in front of the fans. You have to win this game. So, who do they have? who do they have next week? They play Dallas. At the, the night probably, game, right?
0: yeah, 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 okay. Well. well, it's a division game, so hopefully, I mean, that's definitely one that they'll need. Yeah, yeah. early I mean, part, part of the
1: season looks pretty front-loaded, pretty with, tough, uh, brutal yeah. schedule.
0: So, um, just curious, why when you were growing up did you pick the Giants over the Jets? Um, the real answer
1: is there is no real answer. <laughs> just <laughs> kind of well, of the sports that I follow, football is probably. The least of yeah, my favorite, yeah. of, of the big four. Um, so by that token, I was just kind of bandwagon following the crowd. Just a, a lemming that was following the Giants fans. Giants and Giants fandom and Yankee fandom in the Tri-State area, no secret. They're they're the dominant team, so they have the largest fan base. So when it comes to the Giants, I kind of just scrapped onto the bandwagon. And they are good at the time, and they, you know, I was yeah. coming of age or coming to sports fandom late 80s, early, th- early 90s, if I could date myself. Yeah,
0: they, they had the Parcells team. They won in uh, in 91 yeah, yes. against the Bills. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah, that was actually one of my earliest,
0: yeah, earliest New York years.
1: sports fandom memories. So to date myself, I was born in 1982. So I was too young to enjoy. I'm a big Mets fan. We'll probably get to that in a little bit. I was too young to enjoy the 1986 World Series. So the first... Of age, of memory, championship experience with New York sports was... The, the, the Giants winning Super Bowl. Bowl. Yeah. 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 Gulf War, Whitney Houston.
0: Uh, Scott, Norwood Scott Norwood. Missing the field goal, yeah. Wide, wide yeah. right or wide left? I think it was wide right, wide yeah. Wide right, yeah. So um, let's shift to the Mets. How, how come you chose the Mets over the, uh, the Yankees? Any reason that, that you can remember of?
1: And again, this sounds very... Mm-hmm. Unexciting or unenthusiastic, but there's no pinpointable reason that I could, I could, you know, strike my finger on and say what attributes my Mets fandom. The the best reason that I could probably think of is so the Yankees are being that I like baseball a lot more. The Yankees have always been have they always had this evil empire? Yeah, yeah. literally, there are, figuratively pl- there are plenty of reasons mentality to them
0: to hate the Yankees.
1: Yeah, so. The first baseball game that I actually ever went to was a Yankees game. It was Yankees-Twins, 1987. Um, my uncles, they got me really into baseball, so they would they didn't live in the New Jersey area, so they would come over every summer and take me to a baseball game. So the first one I ever went to was a Yankees game, but despite that, subsequent summers, we would go more consistently to Mets games. Yeah. And just the flashiness of the colors, it could be something like that. Orange and blue, they're just fun <laughs> colors for a kid. I like that the their best player at the time was Daryl Strawberry. It's just a fun last name to work with, right? They
0: um, and the team was very interesting at that time too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had they had all the different personalities, and it wasn't quite like the '86 team, but still, a lot of them were, were still there. Yeah. So just from
1: a an aesthetics point of view, the Mets were just easy to get on board with. I, the, their logo really jumped
0: out at me with the skyline. Um, it is funny these like small details that you notice when you're a kid. They, and you're, you stick with the team the rest of your, your life. Yeah. So I was a Mets fan growing up too because I was an Orioles fan. So they were my AL team. Yeah. So, so yeah, I like the Mets and the uh, NL. Yeah. But
1: well, you're right. It's these inexplicable, small, finite, detailed reasons that just hook you onto someone or something, yeah. in this case a sports team, and then you just go off and running and you develop your, your wild, crazy, obsessed fandom from there.
0: So um three years ago they were in the World Series. Yes, they were. Yeah. This year they're not in playoff contention. Uh have we reached that date yet where they've been mathematically eliminated from, from playoff contention? <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think it's quite because there's still a few weeks left. But um what's happened to them over the past few years? So I like to
1: in an alternate reality sense, I always wonder what would have happened to the Mets had Terry Collins not let Matt Harvey <laughs> Pitch in the ninth inning You know For For the The uninitiated Mets were It was game five Of the World Series um, At City Field Matt Harvey Who was the black Man playing the back Royals, then, yeah. They were the Royals They are playing yeah, the Royals Yeah, yeah. Um, They won this phenomenal run Game five of the World Series Matt Harvey was just He was smoking He was dominating He So He had pitched a dominant First eight innings Ninth inning He was reaching His pitch count Terry Collins The, the manager of the Mets his, uh, Former manager of the Mets Right Decides so to pull him. Harvey basically argues and combatively refutes the manager's decision, and says, "I'm going out on the ninth." And then, long story short, well, was it, it, it was three-one, right, there. at that point.
0: Or the score?
1: Two, two. No, the series. It was three-one. Yeah, three, so that, three, that was the yeah. elimination yeah. game. But then, you know, fast forward and how this all factors in. It just that ended up being the demise of Matt Harvey's career, and in the conce- as a consequence, the demise as it currently plays out of this stellar pitching rotation that they've had with Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard, Steven Matz, Matt Harvey, Zach Wheeler. It was a really core five that they had so such a bright future to look forward to. And then one by one over the past several seasons, the, the legs and the wheels have been falling off. Matt Harvey, was he's just been undone. Steven Matz has befallen to a couple of injuries. Zach Wheeler, same thing, was never really able to just achieve dominant form. So the only two that they have going forward to look forward to or DeGrom, who's having a phenomenal, to say the least. That's an understatement-type season. Yeah. Possible Cy Young candidate. Possible Cy Young winner. And then Noah Syndergaard. So with this season, they've been racked by injuries, as they have in the past couple seasons. Um, their bullpen has betrayed them. And they've had an inept offense, especially when DeGrom pitches. So they have this freakish
0: characteristic of whenever their ace takes the hill, they don't give him any run support. Right. Um, so it's just really a bad combo all around, and then the Yankees meanwhile are doing well. Is that- yeah, so the Yankees they their their
1: mantra in the '90s was to, except for Derek Jeter, to buy up championships. And That was one of the reasons why that was the ever the ongoing and um, ever arguing point of contention between Mets fans and Yankee fans. That oh, the Yankees they just they buy the championships. They get all these free hot agents, yeah. the hot agents on the free free agent market. Um, but the Yankees, actually, their current success is attributed to a very strong farm system. They've been they've been grooming the farm, and they have these stud players that they've been rising through their their A ball system. So they might
0: be good for years.
1: Yeah, they have a very strong base to to leverage going forward. Um, no one expected them to be. Everyone expected them to be good this season, but no one expected them to take off as they did last yeah. season. They kind of just they were a little ahead of schedule. Um, I actually watched a lot of Yankees baseball growing up, despite how big of a Mets fan I am, because the Yankees were always in the playoffs. They were right. always in the World Series. So they, they got so much TV time that befuddled Mets fans come late September. They turn on baseball, and you didn't have the plethora of TV options as you did as you do now. Right. So I watched a lot of Yankee playoff baseball and got intimately familiar with a lot of those teams.
0: So I've asked a number of other guests on the podcast who they think will um, come from each, uh, each league for the World Series. Uh, who do you like going forward?
1: Um, Red Sox, it's, just, it's hard to stop a train in motion yeah. that is just as dominant as they've been all season. They've fallen a little bit back to earth the past couple of weeks, but much of that could be attributed to them, them just resting players, some some players taking their eye exactly, off the ball. They have such a big lead. Yeah, yeah they're really just padding it out and buying time until October. And then October baseball is a whole different story. So I like I like the Red Sox coming out of the AL NL. Yeah, I, I, in homage to a, a previous podcast guest of yours, I'll, I'll throw a bow to the Chicago Cubbies. I think they have similar to the Red Sox. They have championship recent championship pedigree, one of the best managers in sports and just talent. Talent wins you talent wins you championships bar none in any sport. And pitching wins you championships, especially in baseball, especially in October baseball. Cole Hamels has been pitching out of his skin.
0: Um, and they just, they have top to bottom, they have a really solid lineup. So um, let's switch gears to uh, basketball now. I, I know you didn't like talking about the Mets, but talking about the Knicks is even going to be worse. Yeah. Um, um, I look at their roster, and I don't see more than really 30, 35 wins. Courtney Lee, Tim Hardaway Jr., joachim Noah, Trey Burke, the Porzingis is coming off a bad injury. Yeah. There's a new guy, Kevin Knox, who looks pretty good. Yeah, so you're being quite generous when you give 30, 35 <laughs> wins. So 82 games of the season, so 30
1: and 50 something, 30 and 50 that seems about right, two. right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not the. I'm not a statistician here, but you know, I'm projecting somewhere in the 20s. Sorry, my dog just whimpering. No, that's okay. Okay. Yeah, they at best are looking to get Christoph Przingis back, come January. Right, right,
0: in midway through the season. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they this Kevin Knox kid. He looks pretty decent. He's got to bone up a little bit, and by that I mean physically. Um, they need they need an enforcer down low, which I guess they, they sort of do in Ennis Kanter. Right. Um, but he's not as offensive a threat. So the way the NBA is going now, right? And you could speak a lot about this. That you you need versatility. Right.
0: You need big guys who can sh- who can shoot to three and really spread the floor. Yeah. yeah. Well, you kind of have that with Porzingis. You have that a lot in Porzingis, but right. you also
1: need they're enforcers that are able to play down low, but also develop that uh, that mid range game. Um, Anthony Davis, he could sort of do it all. He doesn't have quite the three-point repertoire as But there's just – the NBA now, there's just so much versatility and so right. much um, big men being able to do a lot more things. So I think they need Kevin Knox to develop more into that.
0: So uh, you know, whenever I was growing up, I uh, I liked the Sixers because he's a Dr. J, and now I'm a Wizards fan. So I've always disliked the uh, Knicks, but <laughs> I kind of feel sorry for them now because they've just been poor for so long. And I guess uh, – yeah, you know, what's your take on why they have struggled i mean they had a few years with carmelo where they made the playoffs but they didn't make any kind of runs but it's been an organization that's been pretty has been struggling for a fair amount of time to <laughs> yeah. say the least
1: yeah no it's been a rough 20 years yeah yeah right. i mean every team could have a bad 20 years right <laughs> if you look at it that way then um if you look at the chicago cubs perspective they still have 80 more to of misery any 80 more years of misery so the Knicks of my youth, the Knicks that I, the teams that really made me fall in love with the Knicks, and I mean really fall in love with them. Those are the 90s Knicks, the Pat Riley, Patrick Ewing, John Starks, Charles Oakley, Charles Smith. These are some pretty tough teams. They're tough as nails teams. They grinded it out. They had a great decade. They never won a championship. The closest they came was, was 1994, Houston, yeah. the OJ Simpson interrupted series. We all remember
0: well. Does this game still haunt you? Uh, that was game... That was game seven, wasn't it? No, that was yeah, not game I seven. That was, I wanted, It was in
1: Houston, I want right. to say game four, not five. But
0: perhaps I just remember game seven a lot of Starks' performance.
1: Yeah. Um, two for 20, I believe, I just from so, the yeah. field. Yeah. So that was the to they came. But despite that, they had right. a great run where you knew year in, year out. You, the, the season started in November, and you're just looking forward to April and May because you knew that the Real Knicks were going to make the playoffs and the Real Knicks would come out. Come Right, the
0: and there was going to be a good series against... Um, the Bulls, whenever they had Jordan, and in yeah. the two years when Jordan was gone, they were... You know,
1: yeah. So their their the undoings conference. and their rivalries, yeah. it would be the Bulls first, and then the Pacers, and then the big rivalry with the Heat. So it was those types of New York Knicks teams that, that I missed and loved and adored. James Dolan buys the team in circa 2000, 2001. Yeah. Before that, it was owned by a conglomerate, mainly owned by Cablevision. And then... It just all unravels. It's and the frustrating thing, and you say you, you sort of feel sorry. If I could be a little self-pitying here, I feel sorry for fellow Knicks fans as well because it's not like, and this is one of my main points of contention with Knicks haters or people that are that are mocking the Knicks. They've made some boneheaded decisions. They've made some really stupid signings and really stupid trades. Yeah. Um, but they've also made some earnest efforts to ma- to hire some marquee names. Some some big players, big name coaches. As a result, a lot of those personalities did not just not get along, they clashed. I'm thinking um, Isaiah Thomas with a whole number of folks, uh, Mike D'Antoni with Stefan Marbury. They were riddled by a lot of just untimely and, and poorly timed injuries. Really obscure ones that, unless you're a Knicks fan, they're, they've sort of right. just been f- forgotten yeah, in the exactly. lore of time. Like yeah. one that immediately comes to mind is Antonio McDice. I want to oh, say yeah. it was the late yeah. 90s, early 2000s. That, yeah. He was a beast back then. He was a double-double machine, right. 20 and 10. They traded really high. They traded a lot of, sac- of draft picks and sacrificed a lot in future years for him. First game of the season, literally the first game or like yeah. the first, within the first three games, he just comes, lands awkwardly after getting a rebound and right. tears ACL. And then there goes the next three years because right. they can't build anything from the draft. Um, Phil Jackson, he this Zen master, he kind of goofed up the team a lot. Um, but
0: what, what were his main? Uh, what were the main things that he he tried to do? Well, or he, he had this
1: steadfast in. marriage to the triangle offense. Oh, that's right. That yeah. it just yeah. did, he was just force feeding it, and it, it didn't fit with the the way the, the, team, NBA, that they had. the yeah. team that they had yeah. the team yeah. that they had, the way the NBA is nowadays. You know, right. the, the the triangle. Was wildly successful in the 90s and the early 2000s. Yeah, whenever he was with the Lakers. Bulls yeah. and the Lakers, but that's, it speaks to the different nature of play of right. the NBA at that time. All that said, Phil, about Phil Jackson, the first line of his obituary, whenever that day comes, will be championship winning coach, X, X Y, and Z with all these teams. But whenever you get in the sixth or seventh paragraph, you'll... You'll talk we'll about come to the, what he's done at the Knicks, how he messed up with the Knicks, yeah. yeah. But the first thing about the Knicks, or one of his main takeaways, one of the main achievements with the Knicks that Knicks fans can somewhat hang their hat on with how he was able to help the team, he drafted Christophs Porzingis. Yeah. So he was the the general in charge that drafted Porzingis. So the story still being written on that, but he had an eye for talent with that respect, and hopefully the Knicks can, can if, when Staps does come back, the Knicks have something to build around with him. So did,
0: uh, do you like Porzingis uh, long term? Uh, it, I mean, you see somebody that that you think that they can build the build the team around. Yeah, yeah. As, as long as he, as long as he. Well, after he's obviously he comes back from this pretty tough injury.
1: Yeah, I. As Kevin Durant rightly put, he's a unicorn. He has these immeasurable talents the, and this nimbleness for a seven footer, seven plus footer. Um, I like him as a franchise player. I still think he needs – I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. But <laughs> when, when you have a body of that proportion, injuries – you're just so much more susceptible to injuries right. because your your body's just – it's right. oddly configured, right? So I think he needs to, to mass up, to muscle up a little bit more, um, put a little more padding to protect his body. Um that'll make me feel a little more comfortable. I think in the NBA you need a big man and nowadays a big man that is able to do a lot of different things, but also as a compliment to him, um, a good point guard that could feed him the ball. So Frank Nilakina is not necessarily a franchise player, but if he if he can become a serviceable, maybe second team all NBA type guy, right. You know, the mix of something to when, maybe smile. When, one thing that's
0: fascin- always fascinated me about the Knicks is that these free agents in the NBA, none of them want want to go there. And you'd you think that they'd want to go play in New York City, yeah. And where they would be the, the talk of the town. And I. So my question is, why do you think none of these free agents ever want to go and play in New York City? Is it the, is it the franchise, or is it maybe just too much pressure? I don't know. Yeah, I think I think
1: that's it. It's the the pressure of playing in New York, and all that pressure compounds on itself, and it builds more and more the longer yeah. that this streak of misery continues. Exactly.
0: There's so much expectations. Yeah. I mean, I, Carmelo Anthony played there. I, I mean, did he really enjoy it? You know. I mean, that, and there was obviously like a lot of pressure for him to come in and, and turn the team around. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as we said, you know, he did. Take them to the playoffs a few times. But overall, I mean, did he really enjoy his time playing in New York City? I think, it, I think he immensely enjoyed it
1: at first, and then it just fell off a cliff yeah. maybe, say, come year five of his tenure there. When he came, he was, he was seen as the prodigal son returning, even though he, was, he cut his teeth in Mailing Grove in Baltimore. He was originally from right. Brooklyn. Um, Syracuse is not really New York City, but he's, there's that New York connection. Exactly. They had this great um, – even more so than Marbury. Marbury is from Coney Island, New York. When he came back, he was sort of seeing that prodigal son. But with Mello, it was all the more just because he was peak of his powers, future Hall of Famer, right. um, biggest sign they've had in a number of years. Great marketing campaign with him where I'll never forget his – when he was introduced at the Garden, his first game back – um, his name flashed on the big screen and it was welcome home Carmelo Anthony <laughs> and the NY and for Anthony yeah. was like was enlarged to have the a New York logo <laughs> but just it was it was a wonderful experience but think about the pressure that 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 has on someone exactly, having to turn yeah. this franchise yeah. around so there's that pressure element and then yeah the the managerial structure you never know James Dolan is he's not a good Is he the Dan Snyder
0: of uh, of the NBA? He is.
1: He's been called. He's the Dan Snyder of the NBA. He was, um, you know, he's a couple racist chants away from being the the Donald (laughs) Sterling of the NBA. But he's not a good owner of a franchise. And the way that he dictates which players should be dealt and which coaches should be brought in and which philosophies he wants to impose, that's destabilizing and that's unsettling for an organization and for the players that are reporting in the locker room, never knowing if. You know they're going to be called out on social media by, by a general manager who wants to, um, who wants to impose a, a certain philosophy, and then the the owner not taking any action, and by right. he's you beca- at that point you become guilty by by implication.
0: So are you going to watch many games this, this season? Or you'll see, you'll see how it goes at first and uh, the next. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'll follow them. I, I think NBA.com sells my credit card account, so I, automat- <laughs> I automatically get charged for the package, the Knicks package, so I have access to the games. And then you and I were in a fantasy league together. Yeah. So fantasy keeps me hooked on to sports up until, um, until deep in the season. Up,
0: up until playoff season, then you watch no matter who's playing, right? Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. So I'll, I'll,
1: I'll hang on to the Knicks. Um, usually around Christmas time is when they start to start to collapse
0: so um back to uh your your sports memories of uh of being a new, with being a New York fan as we're talking about your teams are struggling right now but if you could pinpoint one like best memory that you've had as a New York City sports fan w- what would it be
1: <sighs>
0: um can i does it have to be one? Uh, no, I mean, I'm not gonna give you
1: five. Like, okay. How about I give you? Yeah. I give you two, and they relate to to the
0: Mets and the Knicks. Not the Giants. The first uh, you, you you mentioned that Super Bowl against the against the Bills.
1: Yeah, that was, that was great. Yeah. And if we're gonna, if we have if we're listing off the top three to five, then okay. G-Men would certainly be in that. So the Knicks, it wasn't even a championship experience because they have not won a championship since 1973. <laughs> Nineteen ninety nine, it was the strike shortened season. Yeah, I remember they played remember the that? Spurs
0: in the finals. Yeah,
1: right? they so the season started late because uh, due to the strike. You're not going to bring up the Larry Johnson four pointer, are you? No, I'm going to bring up something <laughs> that happened a series or two before that. They were playing the Miami Heat game five, and yeah. ba- back then the first round it was best, best of, five. of five, so yeah. game yeah. five was yeah. the elimination game. Allen Houston floater in the lane. Ba- the ball trickles around yeah, the rim yeah. after you know, bounces off a couple times, and finally dips in through the net at the buzzer. Time expires. No, no time left. It was it was it was a walk off. It was the mic drop. Um, the Knicks were like an eight seed, I think. That season they, they were. Yeah, and they beat Heat, the Heat. The Heat was that was the first, first round. So right. I think the, the Heat were the, the top seed.
0: Yeah, and they beat the Pacers in the.
1: That would that, the I think that was in the conference final. final. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I forget who they played in the in the semis. Yeah. But that was, that was a magical moment. Yeah. It, was, it, it had all the, the makings for drama. So, and there were many within that 90s run of, of Nick's fandom that right. produced a lot of great memories. But that one stands out head and shoulders. Other one um, being the, DC, the DMV sports podcast. It relates to the Mets, but it actually took place here in this sacred city. Um, just down the road at the Nat Stadium, it was three years ago. It was the season that the Mets would eventually make the World Series. Yeah. So it was around this time of year. It was mid September 2015.
0: Close. The Nats and Mets were pretty close. Yeah.
1: The so then it was they were just completely just on different um, on different, different axes, yeah. different yeah. trajectories and tracks. The Nats, who have been paper champions for the past <laughs> seven or eight yeah, years, that's true, right? Yeah. They've been paper champs. Um, 2015, they were starting to collapse. They were starting to fold. And the Mets, they had just signed Ioannis Cespedes a month earlier, and he almost single ca- single-handedly carried them to the World Series. So the Mets were just on this blazing hot run from after the All-Star break through to September, catching the Nats. So oh, – Wait, do I have my wallet? I have the ticket stub right with – yeah. Ah, that's, oh, you no, carried it around with you all the time. Mm, I took it off. It's hanging in my office. But I have the ticket stub for this game. Let's say mid-September game against the Nationals – the Mets were down eight nothing, going into the seventh or eighth inning. Yeah. And sports fans, you could you can call me out. You can look up the exact details of this, but this is the. Um,
0: and you were at the game.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was at the game. Yeah. Um, the Mets scored eight runs in one inning, let's say at the the se- the seventh or eighth inning, yeah. to tie the game with the Nats, um, and then they eventually won it in a, a late gate a late inning homer, but the single moment within that eight-run inning was bases loaded, Yohannes Espedes hits a base-clearing double down the left-field line. I'm going berserk. I'm hanging out. I'm at the game with my Nats fan buddy, who is equally berserk about the Nats fans, about the Nationals. And it was just – it was such the epitome of the Mets' run that season. And so fortunate to have been there um, in D.C.
0: And It was obviously – it was a pivotal game, too. It was a – in the 162 game season, not that many you can pinpoint as being, perhaps, a, a few, that has a that that has a huge importance. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: and I don't know where that put them. I can't remember where that put them in the standings with right. the Nationals, but it was just still, it was a gut yeah. it was a gut yeah. punch.
0: Yeah. So great, um, Naki, I really appreciate this. Thanks. Thanks a lot for being here, and uh, yeah, we'll get you back on after the NBA season starts, and we'll uh, re- reassess the uh, reassess the Knicks. And also, hopefully the Giants will be uh, maybe 6-2 and two at that time. They'll go on a run. Let's hope. Let's yeah. let
1: it, season starts anew next week in Dallas. Exactly. All right, thanks a lot, Naki. Thanks.